As you know, we're doing a series currently on the Nicene Creed. We just started it a few weeks ago. Um, This week, we'll be thinking about the line, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, we could have our normal teaching and our normal sermon um, about the divinity of Jesus um, and, and the lordship of Jesus. But instead of doing that, uh, we thought that we'd let you hear from some people uh, here at TRP. We'd let you hear from them um, and how Jesus is the Lord of their lives and what it means to confess that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. And I think you'll see through their stories that Jesus might mean something a little bit different to all of them, but that's the beauty of being in one accord and being in agreement that Jesus is Lord, um, that we can still come together and worship together, even though we may not see Jesus exactly the same uh, as the person sitting next to us does. So I'm going to pray, and then Tessa's going to come up and get us started off. God, we love you, and we thank you for this day that you've given us the opportunity to be here, to worship you. God, we just ask that you would help us to see uh, Jesus tonight. Um, Help us to see him for who he is. Help us to see him as our one Lord. God, help uh, through the stories that are, that are told and are heard tonight. God, help us to just be drawn closer to him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so as many of you know, I work at Rise Up Coffee on East College. Actually, I work at both of them, but I'm at East College most of the time. Um, I'm actually, this is my last week there. But regardless, the cups that we use are like eco-friendly, they're compostable, which is great because we're like stewards of the earth, you know. Uh, What's not so good is that these cups have the tendency to be weaker than other non-compostable cups that are made of plastic. Um, If you leave them in your hot car, in fact, they will look like this. Now, I... Maybe I'm the only one that, that leaves them in my car. I, I have at least three other ones in my car right now. But regardless, one day I had like the perfect storm of plastic cups. I had nearly a full cup of Jamaican iced tea in my car in one of these nifty cups. Uh, and if you don't know what Jamaican iced tea is, it's a black tea base with le- lemonade, <laughs> orange juice, cinnamon, and cloves. You get that question all the time. If you like warm drinks, I don't know who doesn't like warm drinks. If you do, though, that one is really great steamed. If you ask Rachel Bennett, she's like, we call it JIT. She's a JIT fanatic. Anyway, um, so I had almost a full cup of this stuff in my car, and it must have been 95 degrees, like middle of the summer, and it turns out that I also had a penny in the bottom of my cup holder. So if you can imagine a penny stuck to the, actually it looks like a penny was stuck to the bottom of this one. That's interesting. Stuck to the bottom of a cup, burned a hole through the cup, all the Jamaican iced tea leaked into my cup holder. Thankfully I have cup holders that are completely like sealed off. But if you had one that was like, some of them would just be like a detached ring, you'd be, you'd be cleaning up your car for a while. So I had a small puddle, pond, if you will, 
of Jamaican iced tea in my cup holder for like a short period of time before I cleaned it up. It was funny now, not funny then. So what I've discovered is that I've learned over and over that these cups are not made for those conditions. Um, they don't thrive and can't do their job, if a cup could thrive, can't do their job in those conditions. Um, and if you, <clears throat> if you keep one, this is what the lid will look like. This was a dome at one point. Not anymore. So they're meant to be breaking down into the earth, not before they're done containing my drink, and definitely not leaking into my car. Um, Second Timothy talks about us being vessels. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We were all made to be vessels ready for every good work. But there have been times this past year where I turned from that even though I knew it to be true. I entered conditions that I was not made for and not surprisingly in many meltdowns and crises. I failed and cannot do what I'm here for to the best of my ability. I had such like a vice grip on everything that was going on in my life. A vice grip on my own feelings and overanalyzing them, which I do often, and figuring out what they meant. A vice grip on my prayers and making them what I wanted them to be. A vice grip on who I let in and which good advice, everything that I was hearing was good advice, um, I chose to listen to. A vice grip on my decisions and, what doing, and doing what I wanted instead of what I knew was right. I acted like the Lord of my own life, and I acted as though I knew what was best for me, which I've learned time and time again that I pretty much never know what's best for me, but I still am stubborn enough to listen to my own thoughts a lot of the time. But recognizing Jesus as Lord of my life is not about controlling information or manipulating prayers or walking headlong to decisions that I know are not the right ones. It's about stepping back, relinquishing control, and saying, while I don't understand what's going on right now, I don't really need to. I think sometimes we, we focus too much on, like, what does it mean? Like, the things that are happening in my life right now, what do they mean now and in the future? And what, what's going to happen next? But we don't really need to know that. I think it's just our human nature that wants to, like, figure everything out before it happens so that we can act in certain ways rather than letting go of control. I was in such a bad headspace that I found myself many nights in parking lots, in my car, sitting, thinking, writing songs, sometimes crying, and trying to figure out what I'd gotten myself into. A few of you would get texts from me and sort of like throw the life vest out. Um, and sometimes I would take it, sometimes I was stubborn on and stuck on doing it on my own. Like, let's see how long I can tread water. That's always fun. Um, and I know that what my soul wants is to deny myself, deny my flesh, fix my eyes on things above. But I think we've all experienced the fleeting, like, in the moment, moth the flame sort of situations. And what starts out as this bright, attractive warmth quickly becomes what makes us sort of crash and burn in some situations. But I'm reminded that there is redemption through all things, through Christ. 
that means that my screwed up, broken, twisted self and the things that I choose can still be redeemed and will be redeemed. What that looks like is not always the same for everybody and it's, you sometimes can't see where it's going, but there's a guarantee that at some point it will be redeemed. Second Timothy continues, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It took me a long time to come to my senses. Um, and the people who were gracious enough to like walk through that with me can attest to that. I became someone in, in those months, in those moments, that I don't care to ever return to. If you ever have like a moment that you look back on in your life, you're like, I don't even know who that person was compared, which is like a good thing because you can see like where you are now and compare it to where you were. But at the same time, it's kind of confusing because you don't know like how you got to that point. And though I had proclaimed Jesus' lordship in my life, I made decisions that were not consistent with the behavior of someone who is living a life worthy of the calling they have received. Because living in light of what Jesus has done means turning away from those situations that are not glorifying to God. It means being willing to let go of your own will and submit to his. And while I'm still processing through the whole however long it was, I have a new understanding of what grace is and how big grace is. And I'm certain that I don't even have like the full picture of what it is yet. I think that at points in life we're like, oh, that's what grace is, like... I'm bad, but Jesus is better. But I think that grace is almost like endless. So the small picture that we have, like imagine how much bigger it is. I was sort of afraid to come up here and admit that I had been a hot mess for months because as someone who's up here almost every week, I feel like I should at least have it somewhat together. But I think that what I'm realizing is that trials don't weaken our testimony whether we bring them upon ourselves or they're imposed upon us. These things strengthen our testimonies when we come through on the other side and proclaim or reproclaim that Jesus is Lord over us and that what that comes with that comes freedom, forgiveness, peace, grace. We can and should extend grace to ourselves. And at the end of each trial we face, each time we choose to walk in the other direction, finally turn around to walk back towards our Father. He's eager to meet us where we are and greet us in our return to him and then to remind us that he was with us the whole time. I'm reminded in times like those how important it is for me to repeat over and over to proclaim and through that live in a way that others can tell that I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Hi everyone, I'm Tracy. My wife was frustrated with me today because I didn't do a whole lot of notes. I have a little tiny outline written here, so this is going to be extemporaneous, so who knows what's coming, but be prepared. Um, when Josh sent this topic to us to discuss, um, I accepted it. I, I usually don't have a problem with public speaking. Um, this is a little nerve-wracking, though, but um, 
only because of the topic matter. Um, if I, I don't know that I really want to say how I truly feel because I'm afraid how it will sound to you. And I love TRP and I value your opinion of me. Um, but I think if I cloak it in my testimony, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So that's what I'm going to do. Coming up when I was young, I grew up in West Virginia. Uh, I love the mountains. I love nature. And, and there you go. And, I, you know, whitewater rafting, camping, all of that. And, and so I kind of had this uh, uh, existential experience with nature. And I loved that. And I felt like God was there somewhere, but I wasn't really a thinking person back then. And um, my family didn't really do church a whole lot. We went when we went to visit my grandmother. That was about it. Um, so I didn't really have a context to put any of those thoughts into. I moved to Ocean City because I was working my way through school at WVU. And uh, I ended up staying down there, and I enrolled at, at Salisbury State, and uh, I got into social work. Um, but before I did that, I was in philosophy, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had this great professor. His name was Dr. Miller. I don't know if you guys have heard of Millerites or not, but they called us Millerites because we were just, uh, we hung on every word he, he made. And it wasn't until after I had left school that I realized he was teaching us the philosophical basis for how Christianity developed. Um, starting with Socrates and the idea of one God rather than many uh, and carrying it all the way through and beyond because we even went into Nietzsche and talked about uh, you know, the, the uberman and, and atheist thought and all of that. And so I really left school with a good basis that would allow me to work my way through my thoughts and my ideas. A couple other things that really played a part in the development of my thought was, the main thing is Susie. Uh, Susie's my wife and she has always, I've said this a couple times in public so you might have heard this, she has this faith that is just natural to her. Um, somebody will, you know, she'll, she'll say something and do something and it's naturally graceful, I don't know how to describe it, whereas I'll stop, and I'll have to think about it, and oh gosh, would God want me to do this, or do that, or, you know, what's the meaning behind that, and, and what does scripture say about that, I better research it before I do it, whereas Susie just comes natural. Um, I think there's strengths to both, but I wish I was more like Susie, quite frankly. Um, the reason I say I was, I was worried about how I would share this um, the line that came to my mind was, I believe in God. I have a strong belief in God. I have faith in Christ. Um, I have a hard time understanding and dealing and believing that God, a metaphysical being that is the creator of everything, could manifest himself as a human being here on earth. And I struggled with that for a long time, and at times I still do. And I used to beat myself up about that. Um, but I think that's what faith is, and I think that's what God actually wants some of us to do who don't have that graceful belief, because it keeps us growing and it keeps us questioning um, there are times when I've gone to the Word um, because I was puzzled, and that led me to the Word. 
I was doing what he wanted me to do, even though I, maybe I got there a different way, if that makes sense. So, uh, so I didn't want to come across to you as though I'm not a believer, because I am. And I do have faith in Christ. And I do believe that Christ is my Lord. And I'm trying to learn more and more about what that looks and what that means to me. Um, I think I get it cognitively, but I don't get it in my heart the way I want to. So, I don't know what else to say about that, but I also want to be there. I want to be where Susie is. And I think if I keep going, keep plodding along with the help of you guys and TRP, that I'll get there. Um, so thank you for giving me this time. Hello, everybody. My name is Josh, and I've been a member here for about two years. And Pastor Josh also came and, and asked me to talk about what the Lordship of Jesus means in my life. So I want to give you a little bit of background first to start off and then hopefully explain some of what I think it means uh, to have Jesus as my Lord. I was raised in a Mennonite church, and if you want to know more about Mennonites, I can bore you about that later. Uh, I started there. My parents were going there from when I was born, so I was in the church, going to church every week, and somewhere around 10 years old, I started to understand my need for a Savior, uh, that I was... I needed someone to forgive my sins, and I decided to accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, and I went to a class for a while to make sure I understood everything, and after that I was baptized and became a member of the church. And I say that because I didn't have a really big conversion in my life. Some people say, well, I was doing drugs, or I was on the street, or I was doing all these different things, and finally Jesus found me and converted me and, and brought me out of the hole and, and got me back, and, and for mine it was more like a decision to continue with what I'd already started and just an understanding. But the important thing is my understanding of Jesus as my Lord has changed over the years. So as it started off when I was young, at 10 years old or so, Jesus was more like a dictator. So it was all about the rules, the things that I can or can't do, the things that I should or shouldn't do, all the different rules in the Bible. And... <clears throat> If I was good, then Jesus was happy, and if I was bad, then Jesus was sad. So it was important to be a good guy and, and follow the rules. But as I learned more about Jesus, and I grew older, and I matured, I realized that Jesus was a, was a different sort of Lord. He wasn't a dictator. And I realized that Jesus is more of a loving king or loving ruler, and he wants what's best for me. And I was trying to think about a comparison to help understand how I see Jesus as my Lord. And the best thing I come up with is, some of you know I work for the fire department, and like any military or quasi-military organization, we have a rank structure, and my boss is a lieutenant. And seeing my lieutenant is, is kind of a comparison to how I see Jesus. Now, my lieutenant is a good lieutenant. There are always bad people out there, but I believe my lieutenant is a good lieutenant. He's a good boss. And there's a couple qualities that make him a good boss to me, and the first is that he cares about me, and he has my best interests at heart. He really thinks about me. The second is he wants me to grow. He wants me to improve and become better at my job and even move up to become a lieutenant like himself. 
And the third thing is he has a job to do. And in the fire service, his job is to save lives and property and the environment. So I look to my lieutenant for that, and I compare that to how I see Jesus. And I was thinking about Jesus as my Lord, and I'm kind of a rule follower. I'm not really a rebel. Some people have trouble with rules, but I like to follow rules, and I guess that's my nature. So seeing Jesus as my Lord, it's kind of easy for me to, to follow those rules. I, I don't have any problem with that. But then I tried to think about why do I follow these rules? Why do I follow what Jesus says to do in the Bible? And what, you know, why do I do that? And I thought about my lieutenant and how Jesus is like that. Jesus has my best interest at heart. He loves me. He cares about me. Jesus wants me to grow. He wants me to learn. He wants me to become more mature. And he wants me to reach out to other people. And Jesus has a job to do. His job is to reach other people and to help them to know about him, help them to hear the good news, and to hopefully accept him and the forgiveness that he offers and to become disciples and keep the, keep the process going. So I really compared those two and I said, okay, I understand that Jesus as my Lord, I don't follow him just because I'm a rule follower or because the Bible says I have to. I follow him because he loves me and he cares about me and he wants what's best for me. And the rules are good for me. And the verse that I thought of when I was coming up with that is in Colossians 3.17, and I want to read it for you. I want to make sure I don't screw it up here. And it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I think about that when I'm doing my work, when I'm talking to people, when I'm driving. And believe me, I'm not successful all the times and doing everything in the name of the Lord because if that was true then there'd be a lot of things that that are questionable but our effort is to try and do things in the name of the Lord because he is a good Lord and he is a good ruler and he cares about us now I want to share a little story about Jesus as my Lord in uh, day-to-day living and how he teaches me I spent a lot of time fixing cars and there's a couple reasons for that uh, one of the reasons is I drive old cars, uh, not because I want to, but because I'm trying to save money, which equals I'm cheap, and I don't want to spend it on a car. So, unfortunately, driving old cars like that, they break down all the time, and inevitably, they, they wear out and they break down, and I have to fix them because I don't want to take them to somebody and pay someone else to fix them. So, my problem was they would break down, and I would freak out because here I have to spend my evening working on this car, laying out in the grass buying the parts, and so on and so forth. And I kept, I would be every weekend in the rain doing this, saying, God, why aren't you helping me with this? Why isn't it easier? I'm thinking, God, it's your money. It's your car. I'm trying to be a good steward of the things that you give me. Why isn't this much easier? Why can't you make things work good all the time? And this was a cycle that went on and on. And my wife can contest to this because she had to put up with my whining. But it went on and on until finally the light bulb went on in my head that it's not about the car working or saving money, it's about my heart. It's about how I feel and how I react to what happens in my life. And I realized, oh, after all this time, God was trying to teach me a lesson by having this happen. Now, I suffered through this, probably a lot of my own making, but I suffered through it, and then I finally realized that God was just trying to teach me a lesson that it's not about the car working. 
It's about what's in my heart and how I react to it. Now, hopefully, my wife can attest to that I'm a little bit better about that, and I don't freak out quite so quickly. I still have to work on the car, but hopefully I have a little bit better attitude when I do. So along with that, I just wanted to read the verse that kind of reiterates that, and that's in James 1, 2. And let me see. That says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And that goes back to my lieutenant, who spends a lot of time helping me learn how to be a better firefighter, paramedic, driver, and how to learn how to be a lieutenant in the future because he cares about me. And Jesus wants me to improve, so that's why he keeps working on me, just like with fixing the cars. The last thing I want to say is daily life with Jesus as my Lord. Daily life is always a struggle because there's this human nature inside of me that's rebelling against what God wants me to do. And sometimes the human nature wins, and I give in to that. And like Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. But it's always that struggle. But daily life, Jesus is always with me. He's always there guiding, he's teaching, he's comforting, and I just have to remember that he's there. A lot of times I ignore him, but he's still, still there with me. I have to remember that his rules are for my good. They're to help me to grow, to help me to do his work. And his work is loving him, loving others, and spreading that good news and making disciples who can then spread the news to others. So with all that said, I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Mahalat. Um, I don't have a transition, so I'm just going to jump in. Um, so we're talking about believing in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, and as I call myself a believer, and I call myself a Christian, this is what I'm saying, that I believe that there is one Lord and that he is Jesus. But beyond believing that there is one, I'm saying I believe in him. Um, I'm saying I believe in this Lord and there's a difference between the two. And I spent most of my life not knowing that there was a difference. Um, so what is that difference? Um, some of us here are parents. And by us, I mean you, because I'm not a parent. <laughs> but <laughs> let's say your kids are on a baseball team, McKinney's. Um, and you're telling your kid before the game, I believe in you. You can do it. Um, you're saying that you believe in them, in their ability, and who they are, and what they can do not just that they exist or that they're on the team because they know that and you already know that, so you don't need to say that. But the in in saying believing in you connotates some sort of devotion or it's worth saying um, and it should affect the way you live. So for me to say that I believe in Jesus is saying more than I believe that he exists. It affects my life. I'm saying I believe in what he said. I'm saying I believe in what he did. And I'm saying that I believe that this book, the Bible, is true because he said it is. I'm saying that believing is a decision and that I've made that decision. Um, I'm saying that it affects my life and that it's worth declaring. I've learned, since I came to Salisbury, I've learned a lot about Jesus. And I grew up in a Christian house. I grew up in an Ethiopian evangelist church. And um, I've learned that my Christian life before and my Christian life now are very different because now I can say that I believe in Jesus and not that he just exists. Um, and I've learned that when you know what the gospel is and when you know 
what he said and what he did that leaves you with a response that you have to make. Um, Jesus said that he was the son of God, and that's crazy, and I think we forget that a lot. If we walked outside and someone was walking down the street and said, I'm the son of God, we would think they're crazy. Um, but we're saying that we believe that, and I think it is a decision that we have to make. Either we do believe in what he said he was and what he said we were, or we don't believe in it. Um, Jesus said that he was the way, is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would get to the Father except by him. And I'm saying I believe that, that he is the only way, that my own works are worthless. Um, Jesus was radical, so believing in him has to be too. And it will look different. In Luke it says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And in Matthew it says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And I'm saying I believe that these are true. Um, I'm saying that I believe that Jesus is loving and that he is able. And even more than those two, the one that gets me is that he's willing. I also believe what he says about me, that I'm broken and unworthy and sinful. But also he says that I'm redeemed. And if I believe in what he says, then I believe that I am. And to be perfectly honest, this is a truth that I do know and believe, I understand it, but it's hard to feel it. Um, for a long time, I struggled with devotion and trying to find it. And I kept putting myself and finding myself in leadership positions, whether it was crew or 121 or here or whatever. And those are good, very good, but there would be weeks where I would go through and be doing all these things and realize that I hadn't sat down and spent time with the Lord myself. And these, I was doing good things. This summer I was at um, River Valley Ranch and I was working with girls and discipling them and sharing the gospel with them. And I was pouring this gospel into them and teaching them and leading them. And it was the same truth that I was teaching them that I was trying to hold on to desperately. Um, and I learned recently like very recently, that devotion doesn't come from my own self. It comes from an understanding of who Jesus is and who he says we are. Um, it comes from knowing the power of the cross and the goodness freely given to me and to you who don't deserve it but are still redeemed. I think a lot of times I shrink the cross and I shrink the power of the cross by doing things and by trying to earn things, but we can't. Um, we sang that song, Hidden, and it said... I want to seek you first, I want to love you more, and I want to give you the honor you deserve. So I'll bow before you, and I'm overcome by the beauty of this perfect love. If we believe, we believe we are loved by a perfect love. So I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Mahala, you just said something that made my job easier but more, more difficult. I have the job of kind of wrapping everything up and tying it together in a neat bow and sending you home. Um, but, but a lot of times it's not that simple. And I, I had written out some stuff that I was going to say. And then as I'm listening to each of you speak, I'm thinking, oh, man, that's good. That makes me think of something else I should say instead. And oh, that's good. That makes me think of something else I, I should stay, say instead. But Mahala, maybe it's just because she went last. And it's the most fresh on my mind. Um, 
when she, she talked about uh, the boys playing baseball, and it reminded me of a picture that Rachel posted this week. If you're friends with Rachel, you would have seen it on Facebook. Great picture. She's a great photographer if you need a photographer. Anyway, um, so it was a picture of Caden after he hit a home run in his baseball game, and several people had commented on it. And she replied uh, to one of his comments, and this is what made it hard, Mahalik, because I don't know if I'll be able to read this. Um, he was talking to his daddy after that home run, a boy looking at his daddy and seeing the pride of a father's love in his eyes, and now I'm crying. And when I read that, that was me saying, she said, now I'm crying, and now I'm crying. <laughs> when I read that, um, I was actually at work when I read that, and I can't tell you how it made me feel because I read that and I thought, does Caden think that I only love him when he hits a home run? Do any of my boys only think that I love them, or kids, any of my kids only think that I love them when they do something good or when they uh, know I'm thirsty, when I'm out mowing the yard and they bring me a drink of water, or do, do they, is that the only time, is that the only way that they know that I love them, and I just sat there at work and thought about that, and I'm, I'm fairly confident that they know that I love them, uh, but that led me to my next thought, which was, why do I always feel like I have to do something for Jesus to love me? And that led to the next most beautiful, best thought. Just like Caden, Tobias Jackson, Brenna Karras, none of them have to do anything for me to love them more than anything in this world. None of us have to do anything for Jesus to love us. And that, that brings up another hard part because we can read in the Bible that Jesus is Lord. We can read in the Bible, come unto me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, lay your burdens down on me. And I've seen in the past where I've done that, and it's helped. And I've done that, and I can literally feel, yes, right now, this is it. Jesus is Lord. But then I think of times when I haven't felt that. Um, Rachel went to check on Karis, and I'm kind of glad she did because I didn't really want to talk about this when she was in here. I think about uh, her losing her mom back in March and how difficult that has been for her and how he, she has searched and searched and her heart has ached and she's tried and tried, but in those times, sometimes it just doesn't seem like Jesus is Lord. It just doesn't seem like he's there. And it, it's really, it's, it's funny is not the word, right word, but how, how God works. Um, Facebook is, um, Facebook is Facebook. Uh, it's good at times and it's bad at times, but a lot of you know Ryan, and, Ryan Twilley, Megan Twilley, now Oxford. A lot of you may not, 
but I can't think about somebody losing a loved one without thinking about Ryan. Uh, Ryan and Megan started the restoration project with us. Um, uh, Josh and I say this pretty much every time we talk about them, that TRP, there's a good chance TRP wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Uh, and so as I'm sitting there thinking, I hadn't even planned on talking about that with Rachel and her mom and not feeling like Jesus is Lord at the time, but as I'm sitting there, I remembered something that Megan posted just this week about Ryan and about hope, um, not hope her daughter, but hope in Christ, hope in Jesus. And she said, I was longing for Ryan to be healed, but God had a different dream for my life beyond what I could imagine. And the same for Ryan. He longed to be healed on earth, but now he's with Jesus. Talk about more than we can imagine. So I, I don't want you to sit there and think, oh, we hear these stories about Jesus being Lord and, and how if we just rely on him and lean on him, everything's going to be great. Josh said it, everyday life is hard. With Jesus as Lord, without Jesus as Lord, everyday life is hard. Uh, having Jesus as Lord doesn't make everyday life easier. Um, but one thing that it does do for you, uh, I, I officiated a wedding last week, and I talked about love, and I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, it's uh, a popular chapter of the Bible about love, and it says, love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so that's what Jesus being Lord means to me because Jesus is the embodiment of love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus never fails. And so even in those hard times when it doesn't seem like he's there, he is. It may be a day, it may be a week, it may be 10 years that you feel like he's not there, but he is. Tessa or, I don't know, somebody said something about that, feeling like he's, so maybe I am kind of tying them all together. Um, He's there, and sometimes he's just hard to see, but if you keep that faith and that hope in him, and if you are loved to him and you're patient, you're kind, you don't have to do anything, but sometimes you do have to wait, because sometimes you can't see him, sometimes you can't feel him, but he is there. Jesus loves us. He cares about us. He wants us to grow. We... We, we should love him back. We should believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Whether you can see him, hear him. I heard somebody this week talking about how they felt like they heard an audible voice from him. I've never heard that. It's different, but it's the same Jesus. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ.